0: The Valley Hub Stories podcast acknowledged the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, Gumbangia country. We value and respect their continuing connection to and care of country throughout time. Welcome to another episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. Today I am talking with Jono and Rosie Sadler, is little Leonard, who frankly is the VIP of this episode, about their business, K&J Glass. You'll know the name of the business. If you're anyone who's anyone in the Nambucca Valley, it's been around for a very long time. And now, after working there, Jono and Rosie have taken it on as their own. They're a local couple raised in the Nambucca Valley, and they're keen to ensure that local industry stays alive and well. They do this by supporting other local businesses and sponsoring community groups. This is a family that are going places and it is a privilege for us to hear a little of their journey so far. Let's tune in. Jono and Rosie, thank you for joining me today. And in the room, we also have Leonard, who I think will be a prominent feature in this episode. (laughs) So Thank you for coming on today
1: yep thanks for having us. So tell me
0: a little about who you both are outside of what you do day to day in your business
1: uh, so we're both born' we're both born in Maxwell Hospital by the same doctor, Dr. Adams, which is an odd coincidence, about six months apart and yeah we both moved away sort of similar time we We're about nineteen or twenty for about five years or so, or maybe a bit more, and then we both came back five years ago and yeah, now we've put down roots and we're here for good.
0: So, what were you both doing at that time?
1: Rosanna moved to Newcastle and Sydney, and she was working in like the entertainment industry and that sort of thing. And then I was um, away with the defence force in the army, so I got moved around Australia a bit. And then, um, yeah.
0: Okay, I want to I want to talk about that a little yeah, later coach. in the podcast. But first, let's talk about what you do day to day. So you are co owners of KJ Glass.
1: Yep. Yep. So we took over uh K and J Glass that's been in the valley for thirty odd years or longer, if you include sort of what the previous owners had before that. And yeah, my wife who's just Rosie had just had a young landed a year ago and she's pregnant again with her next son. Uh, she does all the bookwork from home and does all the accounts and that sort of stuff. And I'm out uh running the running the workshop and that on the normal day to day stuff and yeah.
0: So, uh, how long
1: ago did you take over KJ Glass? Uh, mid, mid last year. Mid last so, year, yeah.
0: okay. And um, tell me about your team.
1: So, we've got, I think, was it five or six of us? We've got a couple of apprentices, sort of seven all up, including us two. Because, um, yeah, so we're set up as a company. So, where before it was just a, the old school partnership. So, some people get confused when they hear WCGA uh, trading as KJ Glass. So, some people see the WCGA and sort of write it off as a con or something like that. Which is stands for Worrell Creek Glass and Aluminium as well, because where we're situated out there is um, where I grew up as well. Which will... But our team, yeah. So we've got two young apprentices, which we're trying to train up in the glazing game, which is, sort of seems to start to dying out. And then we got one of the previous owners. So it was a partnership between husband and wife, Kerry and Julie Roberts. And Kerry's retired, and Julie isn't quite at that stage yet, so she's still working there with us, which is good and handy in the office and that. And their son Shane that's been working there for a number of years as well, he's still there. So he's the main face that comes out to a lot of the households and that and a lot of people see driving around. And then we have Phil, who's been in the game his whole life, from Armadale, and he's from South West Rocks now and he's yeah, he still works a few days a week with us. So he goes out to people's houses and people see him as well.
0: Excellent. And what's Lennon's role? <laughs> <laughs> Mini boss.
1: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) He tells us all what to do a lot.
0: (laughs) So what prompted you to take over the business having worked in it for a while?
1: Well, I had a previous trade before I got in the defence and then when I came back and they were looking for someone and I sort of moved in there just in a fabrication role. It sort of, it was easy to pick up. So... So uh, once Kerry retired, uh, Julie was obviously heading that way as well because she was a little bit younger. So they were sort of just looking at that stage in life of um, either passing it down to Shane or whatever. And, yeah, sort of Shane just likes staying on the tools, which is good because that's, that's what he's really good at. And, so, yeah, from there it's sort of otherwise you'd be stuck in the shed in the office and that sort of stuff, which I was sort of in the factory anyway. So it sort of it just sort of would have moved more smoothly with me there. Yeah, it was just sort of not ambitious. Just yeah, it just yeah, all seemed to work out. They were looking, and I was sort of getting to that stage in life. I wanted to have something as well, and sort of build something. Yeah. And yeah, it was already it was already there, and yeah, it just seemed to work out.
0: So, what is the scope of the services that you provide?
1: So we're normally just the normal glaziers, so re glazers and showers and. And uh, mirrors and all that sort of stuff we do, and then we also do. We're so we're the only le- local manufacturer from Costa Kempsey of the actual aluminium window glass, um, sorry, glass uh, windows and glass doors. So we manufacture a lot of them for some of the local builders and uh, handymen and all that sort of anyone doing renovations and that sort of stuff. And then we're a CrimSafe licensee as well, so the actual general genuine CrimSafe, the strongest one you can get pretty much. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so we, we supply and fit all them to around, around the valley. It's a, yeah, it gets a bit hard to compete with some of the bigger mobs, especially the project builders are moving into the valley. Like, you know, five, ten years ago they didn't really come for the south and coffs and that sort of thing, but now they've moved in and it's sort of they don't give any local tradesmen much work at all. So I know like a, a couple of ones around here, they ship them up on a couple of days' work all the way from Newcastle. So it's like nothing gets left for the local bil- yep. builders, let alone the local tradesmen. Mm. Yeah. So, but we sort of, we've got a pretty wide scope of stuff we can do, which sort of helps helps pad along. Yep. Yeah.
0: So I feel like there's probably been a lot of learning on your feet involved in that and I want to... Come back to that. But I want to also hear about where you both were beforehand. So, Joe, you mentioned something about being in the army. Is that
1: correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I was doing a, a food and machinist apprenticeship in Nambaka straight after school, straight after year 10. And I sort of was always interested in one of my f- um, family members married someone that was in the army. And then he um, you know, was full of questions, obviously. And he said, well, why don't you think of joining the reserves while you finish your apprenticeship, see if you like it, and if you like it once you finish, finished, move in. And um, that's what I did. And then, um, yeah, I got I sent overseas with that and I put in a transfer to go to Corps. and that's that pushed me to six months training in Melbourne and then up to Darwin for a couple of years. And then they were doing a, a trial to... Replace some of the armoured vehicles that we've been using for decades and they, um, I got selected to do that. So I went back down to the, the school in Puckapunil um, in Victoria and we trialled that for a few years and, and yet at the end of that I sort of it was at the stage of my body was starting to give out from all the loads and that sort of thing and then um, it was the decision of either I make a career out of it and really dig in or I jump ship and make something else of myself sort of thing. So I decided to jump ship and, yeah, come back here and then, yeah we were looking for someone at that exact time. And I knew Kerry and Julie previously. My old man used to work there for a few, well, a fair few years when I was younger. So I sort of knew them and they knew me and it was just sort of a, yeah.
0: What was that experience like coming back to the Valley after seeing, you know, quite a, a broad, or having a broad experience in the army? And
1: it's sort of, you think everywhere else is different, sort of thing, but it's it's not. A lot of things are exactly the same. And it's, it's something that you it helps with a bit more familiarity of those sort of things. So coming back here, it obviously does feel like home, even though sometimes you want to run away from stuff, you know, if you had bad bad things at school or anything like that. But it's funny because it did change around here in those five years I was away as well of, um, with the highway going through, and that was crazy. Um, a lot of people couldn't couldn't work out that roundabout at South Maxwell there, how, <laughs> how to get out to Warrell Creek again sort of thing. But, yeah, it seemed to only helped the local area, oh, especially Maxwell it seems since that went through. And then, yeah, same as Nebaka sort of changed a bit. Yeah, but not, it doesn't seem like any of it changed in a bad way, but it's, it's more profounded that here is as good as it gets anyway.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yep. And I guess coming back in and seeing a lot of people that you'd grown up with too was probably an interesting experience.
1: Yeah, it's funny to see like um, people you go to school with, like yourself, and, that. <laughs> yep. and um, yeah, you haven't seen him in ten, fifteen years, yeah. and you're just like, oh, that's you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then um, it's funny, yeah. You don't even, you barely even talked back then, and then all of a sudden you see him down the street and you stop and have a chat. It's just sort of, it's it's, it's good to see where people turn up. Like um, I know a couple of the local chippies that moved away for ten years and they're back again as well, and it's it's funny to see them and and see so, yeah, how like um it's a similar circumstance of homes home. And mm. same thing. It's where a lot of people try and move to retire, and it's like we were lucky enough to be born here. So it's like, well, do you want to race off somewhere else? Yep.
0: Yeah. So you both went to school together too. Is that how you got together, or was that sort of later on?
1: Yeah. Yes and no. Like <laughs> we, um, yeah. So she was a year ahead of uh, ahead of us at school, but was born in the same year. She just went early because she was born in uh, January. But yeah, we sort of knew each other back then, and. um we were sort of friends for a while, like friends through pretty much all of high school and then um, even after high school we were still sort of chatting and, yeah, when I moved away, I think I moved away to to Darwin first, we were still sort of texting through the way and um, always, always kept in contact. It was just that weird little link all, yeah. all the time and then, um, yeah, we didn't actually get together till we both moved back here um, yeah, in 2018. So it was a... Yeah, a bit of fate there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of um, just kept in contact weirdly through all those years and, yeah, and now look at us, you know, four or five years later, two kids, house, and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. What have been your biggest life? Le- I love asking people this question because we all have such a diverse way that we see the world. What's been your sort of like your biggest life lesson in amongst all of that?
1: It's a very broad question. It is a broad isn't question, it? isn't yeah. it? I don't know. I think um, a lot of stuff I've found, some pretty horrible things can happen to you and a lot you can control and a lot you really can't. And the only thing you can more or less choose is how you deal with it sort of thing. And that's what I used to always get in trouble at one point in the army of when something bad would happen, bad news or whatever, I used to always laugh because I am like... you. That laugh and cry sort of thing, and they all get upset or angry over it. And it's mm. like, it's, it's not going to change the situation. You might as well, you know, have a good attitude about it and push on. And it, that's sort of the thing of how to cater your emotions to things that happen to you. And mm. that's what a lot of people, I think, let the emotions get the better of them. And that's what's probably one thing, especially the army taught you, is to be able to control them. Mm. Yeah, because some things you just, it's just going to happen. You can't help it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you find that there's, like a, a solid kind of group of people that have come back in our area. Um, I only ask this because we recorded another a veteran who had been on a couple of tours and he was talking about, you know, the adjustments that it takes and, and now that there are a lot more support than there was kind of when he was coming back. And, yeah, I'm curious about that for, for your generation, what that experience has been like.
1: Yeah, it, it's a... The RSLs and that sort of thing were real big back in the day and it seems not so much that they don't cater to the younger generation of it, but I don't think the younger generation seem interested in it. Um, I don't know if there's just different coping mechanisms of trying to hide away with TV and all that, more distractions and dealing with what's going on. But, yeah, I know I know of a few fellas, a few veterans that come back to the local area here as well. It's, it's funny to see them on Anzac Day and it's like, oh, I didn't even know you served, let alone you're back here sort of thing but yeah there's there's that's the thing there's plenty of support out there if you want it, but yeah a lot of veterans can be very very stubborn, <laughs> so yeah, that's the sort of uh it's there's always difficulties um in in transitioning back to civilian life, yeah
0: yeah, so I feel like um that's a a nice segue into what you've learned about being in business and how your experience in the army has kind of informed. That so, if there was sort of one thing that you could identify as it's been your steepest learning curve in business, what would it be?
1: Probably more. It was. It was similar to the defence of the big political decisions. Do matter. They do hit home a bit more, especially with small businesses like like the fuel levy you always hear about. Like that, that hits us a, a lot because the freight companies obviously on it and, then it and then it hits us on, at the bottom sort of thing. So all those sort of things you used to go, oh, that doesn't matter or, you know, oh, another the tax is just that little bit. Like um, a lot of it hits the small businesses a lot harder than you think and that's one thing I've definitely realised quickly and that's the sort of thing you just got to try and you can't ignore it too much and just hope hope it gets eaten up with turning over enough work. So those little things like that can add up a lot and it's the especially trying to keep stuff local, that's, mm. that's pretty much our... You know, that's the only reason we're there is people trying to keep it local and that's um, what we try and do with all, as much of our supplies as we can as well mm. from, like, might attending Maxwell for anything like that instead of going to the big bunnings and that sort of thing where a lot of people just go the cheapest narcissists, and that's just not what we're about out there. Yep, It's um more about quality. Yeah, you can't really take those shortcuts and you've really got to pay attention what's going on in the big picture, yeah.
0: Mm. I think there's been a bit of a shift since COVID too with the community – recognizing who's doing that and embracing it particularly uh like in the hospitality industry I think there's been a lot of talk about you know we source our food from the local farmers and etc and um people really leaning into that and wanting to know where things come from so I guess that's that's a really positive thing that you guys.
1: Yeah, well, for, for everyone, it's a. Um, once they all of a sudden couldn't get it from overseas, you know, on eBay real quick or something like that, you go, oh, I know, I could actually source it locally. And that's where it starts to get harder. Mm. That's where the more you support those guys, the more they can cater to your needs. Yeah, like you say, it's food and everything. It's sort of, if you can try and get it more local, it's one, it's normally a lot fresher and better anyway. But. Our big thing is service, like some of the bigger mobs from a few hours away or Newcastle even and they send like a whole house, a lot of windows up and they have trouble, it takes them weeks or months to come back and fix the problem. Mm. We can be there within hours sort of thing or days sort of thing at worst case and that's that's a big thing there of like we're right there. So anything ever goes wrong, we're right there. Mm. Yeah.
0: So what's next for KJ Glass?
1: It's not so much... You know, the bigger you get, the more problems can arise. It's sort of our big thing is you always need a glazier in every town pretty much. So there's always that amount of work of glass that's going to get broken. You know, things need to be replaced, renos, new builds, that sort of stuff. And big one is is trying to get a tradesman glazier is near impossible. They're really dying out. Like even when I um, asked about apprentices, most school kids had no idea what a glazier even was. And that's what it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, Leonard objects Yeah, um, But yeah, it's sort of, that's, there's one thing that uh, I didn't really like of you need to train the future generation and that's what you need to have those apprentices sort of, even if they don't stay in the trade, it's still those skills that are in the community. So sort I of think mm. so worst case if there is, they can go back on it later on or something like that. So that's sort of we we try not to explain it too much because we can turn out a lot of work as is in the way we got the factory set up. And, um, you know, the six or seven employees there of the, the different departments from the security systems to the, the windows and doors to the, you know, showers and glass and all that sort of stuff. So we cross train everyone as well. So it's sort of, it keeps those skills very sort of broad. Mm. And that's sort of, uh, yeah. So, Again, it helps, keep those skills in the local, local area as much as you can.
0: Great. Been around for a long time and hopefully a long time to come. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for coming on today. It was great to chat and get to know you both a little better.
1: Yeah, Leonard. thanks very much. Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. We love hearing what you think, so please reach out on our socials, thevalleyhub__nv or... Or reach out to us at our email, info at valleyhub.com.au. We'd love to hear who you would like to listen to next.
1: Bye for now.